These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old. Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood Industry Insider and the casual viewer. This is Alec. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the Cinema A to B Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cinema A to B. Today, we're going to be talking about the 2022 series Winning Time, which is on Max right now that you can watch, um, all about the Lakers during the Showtime era. So, Ben, you were the one who turned me on to this. So I'm going to let you start this off. And what were your thoughts? Why did you recommend this to me? First was I knew that you, I wouldn't call you a fan, but I knew you like John C. Riley. And this is a, this is a project that I think has really allowed him to flex his acting muscle. Unlike of some other things that, that I've seen him in, he's kind of been relegated to just purely comedy. And that's certainly an element of this and it's why he works so well, but you know, neither of us are, I mean, I'm a, I'm probably a bigger basketball fan. I'm not a Lakers fan. So there, I don't really have any, there's not this huge column of things stacked up that would tell, say, Oh, Ben's going to love this show other than it's a really interesting year of NBA. Um, and I quickly fell in love with this series. It just, I, I don't even really know where to start. Um, it, it checks all the boxes, performances, casting, um, and then it does this great stuff that we'll get into with the cameras, with all of the different film stocks and video cameras that they're shooting this in. It's an amalgamation of probably, I don't know, 10 different camera setups as far as, and, and we'll, I'll speak to that a little bit later on, but I just felt like it ticked a lot of the boxes of high quality that you and I both look for in a streaming show. show. So I didn't really, I, I, for some reason I assumed you'd already seen it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have Max. Yeah. And so, I, so it was, I'm actually more one of those dark horse it, shows. It is a dark horse show and it's, it's not for everybody, but I'm, I'm really curious kind of what your impression was. Cause I, I told you, you know, Hey, you might want to look at, look this uh, thing up. And then a few days later, you're like, yeah, it's, it's done. I'm done <laughs> with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what'd you think? So I really enjoyed it. I mean, I crushed it. I watched this probably over the span of three or four days, I think. So like it was, it was done pretty quick and they're not short episodes. I think they were what, what 40 to 60 minutes per episode. Yes. For the most part. So I've been to something. It was a time Laura was with her folks, I believe, or she was, this is when she was in Los Angeles and doing stuff in California or whatever for work. So I can, I, I remember I had basically some time where it's just me. And of course there's always shows that you can't watch when, you know, you're apart from your significant other. So this was one of them. I do laugh that you said that John C. Riley is one of my, my favorites or I like, it's actually the opposite. I'm not a huge oh. fan of John C. Riley. There's something about oh, okay. him that actually turns me off of watching stuff that he's in. Like I enjoy some of the movies he, uh, he's in, but it's definitely, I don't love him. Now, he blew me out of the water with this. Like, absolutely was fantastic. I mean, I saw moments of him being him or his typical comedic self, but he really brought it in the acting world of trying some of that serious, trying to get across a story as opposed to always going for that joke. Um, and now, granted, the character he's playing 
Dr. Buss is definitely much more of the always trying to laugh, always trying to be happy. And so some, you know, someone watching this can kind of think, well, he's just being himself. Like, no, he's playing this character. This is what this character is. And you can see those moments of when kind of reality hits or when he's alone. And John C. Riley just does a fantastic job of kind of, you know, harnessing that and bringing that forth in the character. And so I loved it. I thought he was uh, great. So, I mean, obviously I knew a decent amount about this Showtime. Um, yeah era of the Lakers. So there wasn't a whole lot of like, Oh my goodness, what's going on. Um, however, with that, they did it flawlessly. I think to kind of still build that will they, won't they moments that sitting on the edge of my seat of like, is this going to happen? Even though in the back of my mind going, well, yeah, the, the, you know, the Lakers are a thing. Magic Johnson went to Lakers, all these different stuff. Like it's all historical. I, you know, I know this, but yet it's still kind of, you know, drug me in and made me, root for the characters and feel some fear for the characters weren't, weren't things going to happen. So it's a credit to Adam McKay and mm -hmm. the rest of the creative team to create that level of tension. Like you said, the will they, won't they, when we all know exactly how this plays out. So this show is more about the conflict of personality within this organization. And what's really funny, cause I, I kind of stay on top of, more the inner workings of, of NBA franchises. I, I don't watch as many games as I used to. I'm still more mm. of a college fan, but anyway, what's hilarious to listen to now is that the Lakers are just as much of a dysfunctional dumpster fire internally <laughs> as they are during this show. Like they've never been this really well-oiled machine. They were on the floor playing games, but in the front office, it's always been a mess and you'd, you'd hear rumblings of what that kind of was like. And you still, it's starting to leak out now, like, you know, with LeBron and, um, inner workings, inner dynamics, conflict. And yeah. that's what makes this show so great is, is all of this conflict. Um, I don't even know where to start with the cast. The cast is just, <laughs> is otherworldly, like 10 deep, 12 deep. Mm -hmm. I mean, we would we would probably have a 90 minute episode just speaking about the cast. But yeah, obviously, this Quincy Isaiah. Not only is he a spitting image of magic, <laughs> he's an excellent yeah. actor. And it's it's not that he just looks like him. He feels like he feels like magic and it doesn't feel like mm -hmm. an impersonation, which I've, I've spoken to this um, with a coworker. We were talking about the, the film Bohemian Rhapsody mm. that won Rami a, uh, an Oscar. Malik. Yeah. And, yeah. and I like, I liked his performance, but Rami's uh, performance felt more like an impersonation of Freddie Mercury than like a take on it. Yeah. Long story short, this could easily feel like him being a magic Johnson impersonator. And that's not what he's doing he crushes it. And then the, the big controversy of this show is Jason Clark as Jerry West and whether or not that's really what Jerry West is like, because, <laughs> and there's, there's like split opinions on this of, is that really, is that really Jerry behind closed doors or is this a cartoon caricature of him? And like, no one's really been able to speak to how accurate this performance is. Cause the, According to the author of the book that this is based on, it's very accurate. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's it's one of those things that always like people in public are one way. And then when they're with coworkers or people they know that are going to hide this stuff or, you know, put it in perspective and try not to let the public know, you can be kind of your yourself or you can be angry and more frustrated, take kind of all your, you know, all the pent up rage that you have and take it on those people because they're safe and in somewhat safe. But, but I think the, uh, Clark did a fantastic job as Jerry West. Like I think what this show really did was, I mean, you hit on the nail on the head where you were like, it talks about the relationships and the inner workings of it, but it also focused on some of the smaller characters or the smaller people behind this showtime era that really weren't at the forefront. You know, a lot of, like you said, the front office people, um, even some of the players who, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, we know Magic Johnson, we know, unless you're a basketball fan, you probably don't know some of the other players that they were talking about. And so that was really interesting to kind of see their dynamics and see how they dealt with magic or how they dealt with potential of changing teams or being cut or all that kind of stuff. So I think it really did a good job of not just focusing on John C. Riley, not just focusing on, you know, Quincy's character, but really kind of trying to branch it out a little bit. And the guy who played cream, I thought was oh, yeah, fantastic this, this as well. Solomon Hughes. Yeah, he was like, I mean, how, how do you how do you place? I mean, like the same thing we can say with with Quincy, with magic. Like, how do you play such an iconic person, you know, who's still alive? Like, how, how do you do this? And I think they both did a fantastic job. He feels just as much like Kareem based on things I've read about just the way just the way Kareem is as a as a mm-hmm. man kind of super serious. That's that's accurate. And magic's just the polar opposite and you get a lot of that in this show of these of these polar opposite characters that have to are forced to work together because you have john yeah. c Riley as jerry bus who's just super right. carefree and then you have this uh claire rothman played by uh Gab- gabby hoffman and she's just like super buttoned up by the way, I when I first started watching, I was like, "Wait, this this gal looks familiar. Why does she look so familiar?" Well, she's the little girl from Field of Dreams, mm-hmm. and <laughs> she's like, she's a couple up, a couple months uh, younger than I am, and like here she is, just crushing it in uh, mm-hmm. in a really good series. Um, this Hadley Robinson that plays Jeannie Bus, outstanding, outstanding, and if you know where kind of these things are going with the franchise, she's going to continue to take a bigger and bigger role. Um, as we, as we progress the thing with this show, I think the book stops at a certain era, but I'm telling you right now, if they want to take this show up through the Kobe shack era, Mm -hmm. there's nothing stopping them. And if they're able to kind of continue this level of excellence, I'm, I'm there. Like, again, I know what happens and I still can't wait for season two. Oh yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm like so excited for it. Like it's one of those shows that has jumped out as like, this is what I'm going to be watching when it comes out immediately yeah. because and like we talked about the cast is just so enormous and so good and mm-hmm. so deep, but the Adrian Brody as Pat Riley, tremendous. And see, cause I'm used to Pat Riley as being like kind of, Definitely in the modern era of NBA coaching, 
late 20th century onward is is basically firmly fixed on the Mount Rushmore of coaching. And then now he works in the front mm-hmm. office of the Miami Heat and has for a long, long time. And his is a integral reason that he's brought the Heat multiple NBA championships. So mm-hmm. to see him in this vulnerable state of like as former player, right like before he's even being given like a head coaching opportunity is really wild to see. It's just not, that's Mm -hmm. not how I've ever viewed Pat Riley. Pat Riley is like the, he looks like a mafioso. He's, he's always had this, (laughs) the slicked black back hair. He, he dresses in some of the nicest suits you'll see an NBA coach in. And he's like, he's just cool, calm and collected. And this is not what you get at the beginning of, of his rise as a coach. So it's it's fascinating stuff. And Adrian Brody is Adrian Brody and does a great job of bringing that character to life and showing that vulnerability before he becomes successful. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole part of doing the what the announcing or whatever and just kind of being it's kicked so, around. It's so awkward. <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious. I know. No, it was it was, it was brutal, but I'm also laughing the entire oh, time because I just want to so- do this. It's, Awful. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna implement that, Ben. When I need you to stop talking, I'm just gonna raise my fist. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll just go into coaching then. We'll just end yeah, the we'll just end the should. podcast and it'll just <laughs> <laughs> So I we, can, tried a little bit we harder. can come back to the acting as we as we feel like, but yeah, yeah. um I do want to talk about kind of the technical aspects of this show. Mm-hmm. Um like I was talking about, they use so many cameras and a big argument they made was how do we sell you on that? You're watching this late seventies, early eighties era of NBA basketball. How do we get you psychologically there quickly? And an easy way to do this is to shoot on a lot of the film stocks that they would have shot material on then. And so you get a lot of eight millimeter, super eight pro eight, 16 millimeter, some Sony, mm-hmm. they shot on like beta tape, those gigantic, I mean, massive Betamax yeah. stuff that was industry standard in television production for decades. And so you, they mix all of this together. And so it's constantly changing formats and you'd think it'd be distracting and it's not, it kind of draws you in. Um, especially when you're like, they'll go to magic's house and they'll, they'll draw you in by having it be in like eight millimeter almost like a, like a family home movie, but they won't leave it in the eight millimeter. Then they'll start cutting to like 16 or something that's a little more attractive, but that eight millimeter kind of brought you in. It's like, no, this feels like I'm in magic's house in 1979. Mm. Um, did you feel distracted by it some places? Yes. So I think they overuse it in some cases, like it became, not a gimmick, but something along those lines. I do know the first time. So obviously that opens with, you know, kind of in that eight millimeter, very grainy film kind of talking about things. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like they're trying to make it look like an old style documentary kind of thing. And then they switch over. But then when they go back, I think, I, I don't think it was, I think it was back to eight. I just thought my you know, TV was buffering or something like that. I had dropped down. My internet was, <laughs> was going out and I was like, what's going on? So like I'd pause it, you know, and no, no, my 
internet was perfectly fine. Unpause it. Still looks like trash. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And then I would see kind of the intercut you're talking about. Like sometimes it would be really nice. Sometimes it would be really grainy. Go back to nice. And I was like, oh, this is a conscious choice. And of course, then I looked it up and read about how they, yeah, they use like three different styles of film, tons of different cameras, all this different stuff. And it, I liked it artistically. I don't think it added much to the story, in my opinion. That, that's fair. And my guess is yeah. that they probably will dial it back for season two. Like they may even have watched it back and been like, yeah, this works, but it might be too much of a good thing. I, I enjoy it, but I'm, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shot, you know, I don't think I've ever shot anything (laughs) on, on eight, but everything else, except for maybe 35, we shot a lot of 16. So yeah, they'll probably, and then as time goes there, there are certain formats that are just going to drop off. Like I wouldn't expect season two for them to be shooting a bunch of eight millimeter. Like it should just go away as we move, you know, in more modern times and as the years progress, those older things will drop now on the technical end one of the things that i really am was impressed with is their ability to to shoot game footage and i think everything everything like including the first maybe six to eight rows of seating is real and then Mm -hmm. above that point is basically green screen so it's like Mm -hmm. the the floor the floor is legit the goals and then uh, that first s- several rows of seating is is real deal but then everything above that is it's is digital cgi'd and it's really yeah. pretty seamless especially when they decide to put to shoot on like 16 mil with that heavy grain it almost hides the imperfections that might exist in the visual effects of of all that. Cause that's a lot of motion. I mean, that's a lot of motion tracking. If you're going to shoot green Fast screen in, in that space like that and the way they do it. And by the way, the behind the scenes stuff's amazing. They've got mm-hmm. camera operators on rollerblades on the floor to get, to stay with the speed of the play. Cause th- that was the whole thing with the Lakers was how revolutionary their play style was got monikered, showtime but the reality was is hyper up tempo fast break like one or two options off the break and then they were back down the floor it it was they just wanted to gas you and that's where a lot of the conflict with kareem comes because most of his career they just played he played half court basketball with this back to the basket and he's being expected to like help run the break and anybody that's played basketball, if you're a big man, you don't want to be running the break. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, 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 your conditioning, like it demands something extra from you. So yeah, I, if I could sum up this show, it's just an expert study in conflict and frankly, conflict resolution. And it's so yeah. much fun to watch. Yeah, it is. Um, and I'm, was really surprised because I didn't, when you said just watch the show, I just jumped it on, didn't do any reading for it, just, or looking in who did it. So I was really happy to see Adam McKay's name up there. I really like his stuff. I really enjoy it. And I was obviously, you know, the same, like I was completely whelmed, thought it was great, was, and he's done such a great job. By the way, this, this is the show that, um, cost Adam McKay and Will Ferrell their friendship. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I read something about that. For those that don't know, basically, this is the role that originally Adam McKay had Will Ferrell lined up to play Dr. Buss. Something changed in development because McKay decides to to switch it over to John C. Riley, And that would prove to be more than just a falling out as far as a business decision. It would, Farrell took it personally and they've been, they basically, their friendship ended 2019. I mean, these guys had been producing movies together for like 25 years. And then it's just like over, over basically over this, this role. Yeah. I will say, I think it was a good decision. Like whether or not it happened before the, the friendship breakup or after I, while I really enjoy Will Ferrell, I don't know. I can't see him in this role as much as I can see John C. Riley. I think John C. Riley brought it so much that it's like, this is now his role. It would have been different. I think Will Ferrell would have played him slightly differently. Yeah. I mean, who knows this Will Ferrell might've been just waiting for this perfect opportunity to show a different facet of his ability Mm -hmm. as an actor. And we never got to see it because this got changed, but yeah, what I've read is, McKay had casted Farrell and then had a change of heart. Didn't tell Will that he'd done it until they were already like in production and Farrell was furious and ended their whole arrangement. So Hmm. really sad because those guys made some really, really funny movies together. The, my favorite of the bunch was, is probably stepbrothers, but hands down, sorry, no stepbrothers two is not ever going to happen. (laughs) No way. No. But yeah, I don't think you have to be a basketball fan to enjoy this series. Oh, I don't think it's required. Not. I really don't. I firmly believe that. Um, I'm trying trying to get Gwen to watch, sit down and watch this because she loves stuff that's all based on kind of the inner workings of true stories. By the way, <laughs> we're going to get more of him in season two, but the, the way they portray Larry Bird in this show is freaking hilarious. <laughs> I mean, like one of the funniest things I've seen in a while is it's the way they, the way they portray Larry legend is, is killing me. I'm really curious how they, how they go about the dynamic of them becoming friends because they've Mm. overplayed it so much right now with, with how, with how diabolical Larry is in the show. Oh, it's, it's, it's an absolute (laughs) riot. It's a riot. Yeah. I, I wasn't a huge Larry Bird fan, so I don't have a lot of reference to, to this. So I'm like trying to catch up and go, wait, was he really this t- like terrible? Was he really this like didn't care about anything or, or this short with the, you know, the news and the media and I such? I think so. Yeah. And yeah. Larry is a little, both Larry and Magic are kind of before they were on the downward trend when I started watching NBA basketball, they were, they were the elder statesmen and Larry Mm. had softened quite a bit by that point. Like he had, he'd won his championships and then kind of was a little more, I don't know, a little friendlier towards the media. But then again, it's Boston media. Boston media is rough. Yeah. So you gotta hold your own with them. Larry, Larry legend is, is, uh, Something else, <laughs> by the way, I'm a, a total, total aside, but Dennis Rodman just came out with a steaming crap take saying that Larry Bird, if he played today would, would be relegated to playing in Europe. 
that he wouldn't be good. He wouldn't be good <laughs> enough to play in the NBA. <laughs> I'm like, you're out. Go, go, go back to North Korea, Dennis. Yeah. What do you, what are you, what are you talking about? No, Larry Bird was something else. So was magic. Magic was unbelievable. Oh, yeah. There was not another guard or anyone that could play guard at six, eight or six, nine, like him that came into the league until LeBron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 20, 25 year gap before there was another guy that was like, they came to the league that was like that, that big and strong. Cause magic was really strong too. Mm. Like he wasn't just tall. Like he was, he had a build to him. He was tough to move around. And yeah, there was, it wasn't until LeBron came on the scene. There was another guy that size that could run the break. So yeah, nobody had seen anything like magic Johnson when he came to the league. I mean, he was, and here's the thing. He didn't average a bunch of points, but that's cause he didn't have to like magic's mm -hmm. completely capable of like scoring close to 30 a night. If he, if he would have needed to like he, and there were games where he went, he would go absolutely go off. So yeah, I cannot wait for season two. Just because the we're getting be we're getting into the basically the formation of the '80s portion of the Celtics Lakers rivalry, which is the mm -hmm. best rivalry in in the NBA and one of the yep. one and of the so best rivalries in pro sports for sure. Yeah, Yankees Red Sox Lakers Celtics. It's gonna get it's gonna get real interesting. I I really enjoyed it. I also going back to the moving Adam McKay. I like how he broke the fourth wall with this. Like I wasn't upset about it. I thought he did it really well. And obviously he likes to do that big short. I absolutely adore that movie. And so it, the pacing, the dialogue really felt like big short, the kind of nods to the four, you know, breaking the fourth wall also felt like it. So like it, the entire show, I just was, this was great. Just really enjoyed all of that. Um, I know breaking the fourth wall does throw some people. It's not, they do use it sparingly. I think, I, I think John C. Riley is the one who breaks it the most, Yeah, but for yeah, the most Bus part does it the most for sure. I enjoy it because you are watching something that's, that's so heavily based in historical reference that mm -hmm. that doesn't bug me as much as if it's a, you know, there's the list isn't long of stuff that does it that often, especially does it well. Yeah. I, and I will say, going back to what you said, this is definitely not a basketball show. It's an office drama centered around basketball, much like everyone talks about, like Ted Lasso is not a soccer show. It's an office drama based around soccer, you know, it just happens to be around a soccer team. This is very much the same where it's not like I mean, granted, there is basketball a aspects to it, but it's not just about basketball. It's about conflict and resolution and character building and relationship building and how do we fix this problem and those kind of situations in kind of much more behind the scenes front office kind of a th kind of situation. Yeah. This is the, this is like the highest level office drama, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you could make the argument in this era, it could be some corporate boardroom of some fortune 500. Mm -hmm. Now today, the drama inside the office of a major sports franchise is the highest level. This is, this is, these are the most valuable properties on the planet and the Lakers, the Lakers are one of them. Yeah. 
This is yeah. this is where all the money is. Spoiler. This is where all the money is. That's what's that's what's interesting to see now too is like what Jerry bought the Lakers for <laughs> and what they're and worth now. How much now. they're worth now? <laughs> you think Michael Jordan just made a bunch of money buying the Charlotte Bobcats fifteen years ago, and then or the Hornets or whatever, and then yeah, the and Hornets. then selling them this selling. year and pocketing you know whatever percentage of like couple bill. You think that's a lot. It's nothing compared to bus buying the Lakers and then and scrapping, barely scrapping together to buy the Lakers. <laughs> On a wing and a prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Duct tape and and school glue. Yeah, pretty much. Basically. Pretty much. It's wild. Yeah. It's a it's oh. a good time. Totally It is. Excuse me. Totally recommend it to anybody that hasn't bothered to watch through it. It's paced really well. Got some fun little tricks up its sleeve for doing filming or doing, you know, keeping your interest. So highly recommend. Well, I think that wraps it up for for winning time. Yes. It's got one of those long official titles. Winning time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just refer to it as winning time. So, yeah, I totally recommend you check it out. Fun fact, uh, the actual show name was supposed to be Showtime since it was the Showtime era, but they didn't want to call it Showtime and put it on HBO. <laughs> so they, ca- they called it Winning Time instead. That's fine. Yeah, that probably <laughs> makes more sense. That makes more sense. Yeah. And uh, we just appreciate you joining in the conversation on these shows, these movies, the stuff we refer to as uh, broadly as cinema. We will catch you um, next Monday with another episode. Thanks, everybody.